Hey everyone, I'm Sally Abed, and this is Groundwork, a podcast about Palestinians and Israelis refusing to accept the status quo and working to change it. Groundwork is a joint production of New Israel Fund and the Alliance for Middle East Peace. All right, so we just finished season two, but before we sign off fully, we wanted to give you a special episode. And to help me with that is one of the creators and the producer of the show, Yoshi Fields. Hey, everyone. Hey, Sally. Hey, Yoshi. How's it going? Great. Good. So, right. First, I just wanted to thank all the listeners for, for listening to this season. And briefly, I wanted to welcome any new listeners that are just coming and just tell you really quickly about the show that there are two different types of episodes we've been doing this season. One is a documentary style often in the field with the activists. And in each place, we tell the story of what's happening on the ground and hear from people trying to make that reality better. Like, we went to the town of Jezrozaka and talked to bereaved family members suffering from the crime wave in Arab cities. Right. We also went to a village in Area C of the West Bank and got a peek into how the Israeli government willfully neglects the Palestinian residents. We went to the protests in Israel just as they were starting out and explored the issues of Palestinian rights in the movement. And so much more. And then there are the other episodes that we call Ground Report. Ground Report is where I do more straightforward one-on-one interviews with activists about the issues they're working on. We've spoken to some fascinating people, and it's been a journey for myself to hear and reflect on my own experiences through theirs, you know, as activists. And for this episode, we're doing a twist. We're turning the mic around on to you, Sally. Because Sally, of course, is not just one of the hosts of Groundwork, but a Palestinian activist, and she's a member of the national leadership of Standing Together. They are the largest Jewish-Arab grassroots movement in Israel. Right. We're the purple on the streets, if you've seen us. Yeah, the purple t-shirts with the, the Hebrew and Arabic written on True. it. True. Yeah. Today, Yoshi is going to interview me. I wanted to start off with a question that you often ask your guests, which is, can you take me to a moment where you started to see the situation here in a different way? Maybe something that looking back now, you feel like ah, that was something that inspired the activist that you've become. Yeah, I have many memories. I have one that is very, very, very specific of how I got to standing together. I'll tell you the moment. It was 2017. It was a big protest in southern Tel Aviv to stop the deportation of asylum seekers. But before I get to that point and why it was so significant to me, you'll have to understand the context. <laughs> Explain it, yeah. Now, I'm not old. I'm, I'm 32. Uh, but uh, I grew up here in Israel knowing nothing you know, over the green line, over, you know, in Gaza. Like, I didn't have any idea of what my collective identity and, you know, my Palestinian identity meant. I didn't even know I am one in many ways. I, I know it's weird to, to, to say that. I did grow up with the stories of my grandparents, you know, during the Nakba and very heroic slash traumatic experiences. You know, my grandfather um, was raised by his aunt who was shot dead in front of him when he was like 12. Um, and he like had to go on like a donkey. It's like a movie, right? Uh, with her gold to Lebanon, like to flee to Lebanon alone, 12 years old. And he was like, there were thieves and they like, they stole his gold and-, well, and she, was, she was shot by an Israeli soldier? Yes, she was actually the only casualty from Marlia. Uh, you know, my, my village. Um, 
which was one of the very few villages that all of its residents actually were allowed to come back. We're very, very lucky. That was in 1948. My grandmother uh, from the other side, you know, she was always telling me about how she took all of her siblings at 13 and she fled to the Wadi, to the valley, uh, right next to us, Akhzif, uh, you know, Wadi Al-Qarin. And they literally lived there for like months. I always experienced, you know, these, these things as, you know, very personal, very familial. You know, it's just my family's trauma, my family's stories, my village's stories. And I never connected it to something bigger. We also, you know, mind you, we don't get educated. We don't learn who we are, our history, our political narrative, you know. Both of my parents, they accepted all the conditions. <laughs> they just accepted them all. They relinquished any kind of politics, any kind of identity, just played by the rules, and they just, like, survived. I had a Russian-speaking friend, a Ukrainian friend. Her name was Rita. Um, she danced with me ballroom in Malot. <laughs> and uh, she came to me and I, was, I felt so cool. I felt so awesome to like have a Jewish friend. And I spoke Hebrew. I was 12. And I told my grandma, hey, grandma, can you tell her like your super cool heroic story about like fending for yourself for like months <laughs> at 13? And my grandma screamed at me, we don't tell these stories to Jews. And I think that was like the very first time I was like, okay, we're different, <laughs> you know, we're collectively different as Arab. And I just grew up with that growing feeling of, of otherness that I didn't understand. I just didn't understand it. And the first time that I did was abroad. I actually had to go, you know, outside of Israel-Palestine. Where was this? In Norway. I actually studied high school in Norway when I was 16. I remember... Um, uh, some of the people there, there was Ahmad from Gaza and there was Samid from Jalazon from a refugee camp uh, in, in the West Bank. They came to me and they're like, oh, where are you from? Like they, they heard me speak Arabic in a Palestinian accent. <laughs> and I felt embarrassed immediately. Like I, I had always that, you know, almost like guilty. Like I knew they're like related to me, <laughs> you know, but I didn't know why I felt this weird disconnect between us. And my, there was no like social media. We didn't have that connection that we have today, you know, between West Bankers, you know, Israeli citizens, all the like Palestinians uh, in that sense. And I knew the answer, the most PC answer was, oh, I'm from the Western Galilee. So I didn't say Israel. I didn't, you know, just Western Galilee, neutral. And I remember Ahmad came and he was like, oh, guys, there's another Palestinian. And they and just came and they hugged me. Hmm. And I'm just like tearing up now, like just thinking about that moment where I was like, shit, <laughs> I'm Palestinian. Cool. Like, what does that mean? Right. And um, and it took me a long It's like it's it started a journey for me to also understand what it meant. I could just be Palestinian <laughs> and receive like solidarity, uh, unlimited amount of solidarity, you know, from amazing people. I came back here in Israel and I just, I literally like, like free falling. Like it just, it yeah, was just such a shock uh, to come back here. I felt lost. I couldn't say I'm Palestinian even, you know. I got called for a hearing at my first job here in Tel Aviv uh, for, for referring to my society as Palestinian. 
I think it was about cuisine. It was about food, <laughs> you know, and it was political. It was too political, too provocative for, for my coworkers. You're warned, you know, don't do that again. That's not professional. We don't talk politics in the office. Uh, in the meantime, of course, we had three settlers that worked with me that came with their guns every day to work. And that wasn't political, right? Um, and that was a very, very hard realization uh, to me. I have zero space to exist. And that really brings me back to the first turning point that I had with Standing Together, where I first met them at a protest. I was actually not going to the protest. I was just passing by. I started seeing, you know, just this movement, Standing Together. I was very skeptical about, you know, Jewish-Arab partnership. I was like, Ugh, you know, like, what does that even mean? And I saw these, like, huge protests with these purple signs uh, against the deportation of asylum seekers. And... It was in Hebrew and Arabic. And that like really struck me. I'm like, why did like why are they writing this in Arabic? You know? These asylum seekers are, you know, from Eritrea. Some of them are from Sudan, Arabic speaking. But like they're not they're not talking to they're talking to me. To like the Palestinians who live in Tel Aviv and in Yaffa. It was the first time that someone invited me to like a connected struggle, like as an ally, not as um, oh solidarity, like oh I'm giving you so, and and I'm not trying to undermine solidarity. Solidarity is a very powerful thing, and I receive it every day, and I give it every day. It's a deep foundation of partnership. But for the first time, I wasn't just just the victim who received Jewish solidarity. I was a partner. I was part of a majority. I think that was the most meaningful aha moment for me. Like, I need to claim my part in Israeli society as a Palestinian. There are many things that are still hard for me to just navigate with people. Like six years. Um, of standing together. Yeah, navigating like really impossible complexities, you know, especially with the democratic protests and uh, like, what does it mean? You know, when you still feel the hegemony, you still feel the, like, sometimes I just feel like this is just not fair for me. Like, like, I still have to give up a lot as a Palestinian to do this, like, much more than you. <laughs> like, I, I, I still feel Because, that. for example, with these anti-judicial overhaul protests, almost everyone has an Israeli flag. A lot of them are there not thinking about Palestinians at all, but just no, about it's their not even rights, about or... that. It's honestly like the good thing about you know if you are part of standing together and you did go to these spaces that I just talked about and you did you are part of these communities you are extremely sensitive to these things. You're probably gonna go there not with an Israeli flag. That's not the issue, and yet there's just so many more spaces for Jewish leftists and Jewish partners where they can be a little bit more effortlessly accepted than me. You know, I just have to fight all the fucking time. I just have to like completely, sorry, I'm swearing. I, I shouldn't. I think it's okay. Because <laughs> sometimes I just want to be, you know, with my hatta, you know, the Palestinian scarf and my Palestinian flag and go to, you know, ethnically cleansed villages and go and, and like demand right of return. 
and just talk about the pain and talk about the collective trauma and talk about historic justice and talk about like, fuck this, you know? And I just always, always have to think of how I am perceived by Jewish public. You're not able to just be Palestinian however you're feeling in that moment. Yeah. One, because it's not safe. <laughs> I could be beaten up, arrested uh, and whatnot. It happened already. But it's also because I know that my full-on narrative and my full-on... Like, I'm just never as angry as I really am. It's just exhausting. Um, yeah. Yeah. I wonder, because, you know, speaking about Jewish-Palestinian partnership, Groundwork is an example of that. And I know you've, you've brought up before that, that sometimes it's it's difficult and... I also know that, right, being transparent, that often you're the only Palestinian in the room of people talking about the groundwork episodes or writing narration or whatever it is. I wonder if if it's a similar feeling, a feeling like you're not able to, yeah, just be yourself and be angry or yeah. express these things. And yeah, yeah, I'm curious. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let, let's put for the credit that you guys are amazing. Yeah, um, I, I'm not trying to 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 give you like heads up. I, I know you're not fishing for it, but <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> no, you guys are really are amazing. You know, you are so sensitive to to my critique, and you're really trying to make it work. But we are. Bro you felt it too. We're just so limited in how much we can say from what I want to say. You know, because. You need to be strategic, not right. You need to win. You need to advance. You need to move people on the spectrum of support. Is there an example that you can think of during our time with Groundwork? Yeah. The episode, for example, uh, Three Bullets, about violence and organized crime in Palestinian society here in Israel. It's an amazing episode. It just was so difficult for me. I, I think we wanted to make it accessible to people to understand what the problem is and to really humanize the people, humanize the victims, humanize the families and understand, you know, what the tragedy is, right? And in our society where we are literally like fighting to like not get a bullet, literally. <laughs> and, um, and it's just so difficult to talk about this out of context of the occupation. That's what I want to say. <laughs> and it's like very controversial. Like, oh, like it's like it's too complicated to now understand why our reality here. We live in have you been in, in Palestinian towns here? We live in ghettos. Like yeah. we literally live in ghettos filled with illegal guns. Over fifty percent are under poverty line. One out of three kids, eighteen to twenty-four, literally has nothing to do, no job, no education, no framework, nothing. You know, it's just crazy to me that people don't understand our reality within Israel as something that is an extension of the occupation. And when I start saying these things, like oh, like kibush, you know, like the occupation. People just like don't want to listen to me, you know, about the, the uh, organized crime. And then when I talk about it, like uh, yesterday, I published uh, an article, an op-ed in Haaretz about it. And I actually was edited out. You know, I didn't, I wrote Palestinian and they wrote Arab. Mm, like right. it's about the Arabs here. This is the issue of the Arabs here. Let's not complicate it. Let's not connect it. Um And I understood that. I accepted that. Well, and I understand the impact 
hopefully, you know, the impact that we wanted of that op-ed to be about, you know, about our realities here and about our literal survival for life. I almost need to like quote unquote simplify things for people, you know, <laughs> and not because they're right. they're but only challenge people to some extent because if you go right. all the way, you lose them. Right? They're like, you what lose are you the people. About? I always have to edit myself. I always have to to be not as angry as I really am. <laughs> yeah, and it's just I want to be really angry. Do you sometimes. have that space sometimes to just let it out? No. Um, well, maybe with my husband. <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> and at my him, parents. <laughs> the other day, I went to the Gulen Heights with a Syrian guide, and I was with a group of like all Palestinian youth. And we, you know, obviously had very angry, unfiltered political discussions and stuff like that. And we like danced and we put loud Arabic music, like wedding music, in the middle. And I went the other the next day to school to school to the office and I was like wow I just realized how much I'm deprived of these just unfiltered Palestinian Arabic speaking spaces like completely you've talked about the idea of creating a new majority can you talk a little bit more about what that means and how to get there the ultimate goal is building a new political current Israeli politics is is the dichotomy of Palestinian and Jewish is really in very, very, very deepest, you know, crack, if that makes sense. But there are so many other really significantly deep cracks, you know, when you talk about Mizrahi and, and Ashkenazi, that's huge crack. That's a huge crack that people are starting to talk about a little bit right now. When you talk about ultra-Orthodox, you know, secularism and versus religious and I think this all can really work together. You know, I really think that once we envision a new majority, you know, through social justice issues, through fights for democracy and through the very simple and deep idea that we all deserve peace and security and we all share a homeland and share a, a shared fate, I think... It really can all work together. I really think so. You might think I'm naive. <laughs> it's hard to imagine. I know. Can you give me an example of someone that you've met who traditionally is not part of the left at all or part of that new majority that you're imagining and how you connected with them and, and now feel like they are? If, it, if that has happened, like how does that? Yeah. What does that look like when you're able to actually create that? So I do. I think we are at a stage of standing together where we built a base of liberal slash left people and, and we like capped out. Like, I think like we reached all of them. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. But I do think that, you know, most of the transformations that I witnessed and that I experienced with people were people who were liberal and did understand my fight, but were also a little bit not understanding their own inherent racism and their own inherent entitlement for this land. Like I had a person, for example, who would come to me and we were talking about their vision for what it looks like after the occupation has ended. And I'm like, what are you going to do about the refugees, right? And he's like, well, we will allow some of them to come back. I'm like, okay, what about like the Jewish, the right to, to return? 
he said, yeah, no, that's like, that's, that's, of course, that's prioritized. That's what he said. We will prioritize Jewish Aliyah, but we will allow some Palestinians. And I'm like, he like hasn't even shifted into the paradigm where like we're equal, <laughs> you know, that we have equal rights to be in our homeland. And he's actually like the head of a very, very major leftist organization mm. that I'm not going to like call right now. Yeah. And he doesn't even understand that it's Jewish superiority. He doesn't. I do think that working with him for many years like has really shifted him. Others that I have worked with that are part of that organization, I, I think their contact with me and with other Palestinians gives them a bigger sense of shared fate. Like, it's not just about the Jewish state. It's about the Jewish and Palestinian people sharing a homeland. And it really, I think, completely challenges their perception of, of why why do we need to end occupation? Why do we need to stop controlling people, you know, militarily and violently for decades? And what is the, and it sounds like the next step okay. now. So now the next step, thank you. I think the next step that we're trying to do now is get to the uh, social and geographic peripheries of Israel, right? So the people, the current base of the current government, for example, like the, the Likud base, for example, you know, um, who are people who are just so far, they, they don't even see us as a legitimate partner. And when you say us, do you mean Palestinians? Palestinians, yeah. Uh, but not even just Palestinians. I think many of them are very reluctant to work with other communities as well, you know. Like you wouldn't find a Mizrahi person like, oh yeah, let's go fight for minimum wage with like um, a former USSR immigrant, you know. Like you don't, you know, that doesn't happen. And I think that's our next goal. How do you connect communities? I, I have some transformations there. I think the Haridi is like the most special example for us. Um, I don't think many of the hundreds of people that we mobilized from the Haridi community uh, around minimum wage, you know, are going to go for anti-occupation protests right now. I also don't think they're going to stop voting for right-wing um, parties. Yeah. However, just the moment where you say in a video or in an interview or in a shared post and you say Palestinian and I'm, I identify as Palestinian and we share we, we are sharing a voice and a message it just does something to, like the fact that they don't flinch <laughs> and that mm -hmm. they accept that I think that's transformative um, and we're doing that a lot so it really know? strikes me it's like you're not trying to say we all need to agree on everything in fact that's impossible. That's not going to happen, exactly. But it, it feels to me like, in some ways, everything we've talked about, right, going back from the, the story that you were talking about at the beginning of the first time another Palestinian hugged you as a Palestinian, you're, you're fighting for your right to be seen and recognized as Palestinian and to be able to express it. In my homeland, in which homeland. happens to be Israel. Right, <laughs> right. And that other people difficult, uh... <laughs> acknowledge that. And they can still disagree with you. And, what, and there's fights to be had ar around that. But like the, 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 like the most foundational thing seems to be you just want to be seen and acknowledged as Palestinian and, and not be allowed. I want to be acknowledged as Palestinian, but I also want to relentlessly fight for everyone's rights. And I'm like not doing it because... To be, that's the thing. I'm not doing it to get legitimacy to be Palestinian. Mm -hmm. 
I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do because it's good for me and for my family and for my society and for the people around me and for my friend and for my future but it also happens to help with the legitimacy of my identity and that's amazing mm-hmm. it's just so much easier for people to like gulp the fact that I am a Palestinian when I'm like fighting for their rights and not just receiving you know and demanding their solidarity I guess I want to sometimes I feel like there are all these organizations that are doing whatever whatever but like I don't quite see like how does it end up where we want it to you're slowly you know moving the needle in terms of having these different organizations and different segments of society working together in certain ways so how does it go from there to full Palestinian rights and end of an occupation all these things it's an excellent question it's important to understand that there is an opportunity now because you do see that more and more people are willing to uh, look and understand that oh maybe the occupation has something to do with the deterioration of democratic <laughs> you know mm-hmm. uh, uh, institutions in Israel um, maybe you know and And um, that does give me a glimpse of hope because I think how I perceive our movement is that this, this is going to sound dramatic, but I think there needs to be some kind of collapse <laughs> of certain foundations if Israeli democracy or what is was perceived as democracy. And I see the movement that we're building, And the ecosystem that we're building around it as the foundations for the new roots that we need to plant. I think a lot of Jewish Israelis and Jews abroad, by the way, need to like start redefining what Zionism means to them. And I do want to remind people that Zionism that won, quote unquote, is not the only form of Zionism. And when people say Zionism needs to be redefined or abolished, it's not about rejecting the right for the Jewish people to be in this land. It's about redefining it in a way that can coexist with other people that belong to this land equally. And you feel like your grassroots work is, is slowly and pushing I, that. Yes, I think it's, it's just about just building, talking about a new political hero that includes all of us. I, I know it, it's not simple. But the idea is simple, and the idea is crystal clear to me and to like thousands others that are like organizing and taking this very seriously and expanding and and building a new new spaces for this. It's so clear to us that it's possible so let's talk about when that possibility comes to fruition, right which is a question that you ask all the interviewees when you're the yeah. interviewer this question of political imagination, yeah of what comes after. The end of the occupation after all these things okay what does that day look like for you I think after ending the occupation there will be a real talk and real engagement between Palestinians and Israelis about how they want to share this homeland equally and peacefully um, so ending the occupation does not guarantee that just peace. It will enable some kind of space that never existed before for two people, independent, free people, to talk about how they want to share this homeland. Um, everyone will be free to move. West bankers will be able to go to the sea whenever they want. 
I think we will have all of us just much safer existence, just safe spaces everywhere, just safety, security. And what are you going to do to celebrate? What I'm going to do, I'm going to probably like happily just raise children guilt-free. <laughs> yeah, the idea of raising a family right now is dreading to me. Uh, I know it's sad, it's, it's sad to say, but um, I think what I want to do to celebrate is just raise a beautiful Palestinian family uh, that lives um, in equality. I hope so. I hope so too. Thanks for sharing and, and being so honest. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We need your help. If you found what you just heard meaningful, if you think this kind of reporting is important, then please take a few seconds right now and rate us and give us a review on whatever platform you're using to listen. It will go a long way to help us get the word out. Groundwork is created and produced by Dina Kraft and Yoshi Fields, with content and audio editing by Yoshi. Yoshi also scored the piece. Additional content editing by Elisheva Goldberg and Nick Acosta. Art and design by Nick Acosta. The show is a joint production of New Israel Fund and the Alliance for Middle East Peace. New Israel Fund is the premier funder and organizer of progressive Israeli civil society, with over $300 million from tens of thousands of people to hundreds of organizations working for change on the ground for over 40 years. The Alliance for Middle East Peace is the largest and fastest growing network of Palestinian and Israeli peace builders. You can learn more about them in their website in nif.org and almap.org. And you can learn more about our show at their websites or at groundworkpodcast.com. Our theme music is by System Ali, a multilingual binational hip-hop group whose cultural activity is deeply rooted in the communities where they work. Additional music comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Until next time, shukran al-mutaba'a.